together with confidence. He always guides me. Come on.
Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Excellent. Wonderful. Glad that you're here today worshiping with us. If you're a guest, thank you for being here today. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us. If you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. And the best way to do that is to simply to grab your cell phone right now at this very second and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text the word CONNECT. We'll send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of questions just so we can know that you're here, pray for you in any way, minister to you in any way, but thank you so much again for being here with us. Before we jump in and worship together, I've got my big three announcements for you. Big three things we want everyone to know as we roll in to this week as a church. Number one is this, new members class. We're going to start up our next round of new members classes in September. You can sign up for that by texting the word MEMBER to our number, 910-424-1298. Just text MEMBER. Sign up for that. It does not obligate you for membership, but it, it is the process for membership that we ask you to go through. And it's a way for you to learn more about the church and who we are and get some of your questions answered if you have any. So you can sign up for that by texting MEMBER to 910-424-1298. Also, we're going to be beginning a 24-hour prayer uh, ministry. The hope behind this is that we come to the point where 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, someone from our church is on their face before God praying so that the, the, the candle of prayer before the throne of God never goes out for us as a church. And so you can uh, be thinking about that September 19th after the 11 o'clock service on September 19th. We're going to come together and, uh, in, in our uh, FLC and uh, talk about that, answer questions, give you a little information, do some quick training, and just see kind of where we are with that, where we can go from there. So that's going to be September 19th. Take a couple of weeks, pray about that, and see about being a part of, of that. And then men's retreat, October 22nd to the 24th. That's a weekend. Come and be a part of that, guys. You can sign up for that by texting RETREAT to our number, 910-424-1298. Uh, that's available for ninth grade and up. So if you have a high school son you'd like to bring with you, you can absolutely do that. Uh, but it's just a, a weekend for guys to get away. We're going to go to Fort Caswell uh, just to get away for a couple of days and spend some time together and spend some time with the Lord. Uh, so you can sign up for that again by texting RETREAT to 910 one, two, nine, eight. And for any other announcements that we have, anything that's going on, download our app, Southview Baptist Church, iTunes, or Google.
Google Play. Download the app. That's how you're going to get connected with all that's going on. That's how you can give. You can Two ways to give. You can give online through the app, or you can give at the giving boxes as you leave here today. That's also where you're going to be able to sign up for events, know what's going on, find a journey group. So our journey group season's cranking up here now that summer is over. Uh, so we encourage you to find a group if you're not plugged into one. That app's going to help you do that. Uh, they meet all throughout the week. That we have a new one starting on Thursdays. It's not a typical journey group. It's, um, it's, it's a little bit different. It's just going to go through a certain amount of time. It's nine weeks, and it's going to go through marriage. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can text marriage to our number, 910-424-1298. But all kinds of groups, everything getting rolling. So sign up, get plugged in. Wonderful opportunity for us to connect with one another and see all that the Lord is doing. But for us today, I want to read some scripture to you. Um, in just a few moments, we're going to be worshiping together in communion. Uh, and as we do that, I want to read a scripture just to kind of set the stage for us and get us ready for this. All right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Think about that last line. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That word proclaim means to preach. So in just a few moments, everyone in this room is going to become a preacher. You yourself are going to be proclaiming a message. And specifically it says that message is that we're proclaiming the Lord's death. What does that mean? It means when you take the bread and you take the cup, you are proclaiming to the world that it was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that made you new. It is this that has set me free. It is this that has forgiven me of my sin. And because Jesus has sacrificed so much for me, because he gave his life for me, I have no choice but to give my life totally to him. So it causes us to search our hearts and examine where we are and confess sin. And it says we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So not only is it about what life is right now and, and knowing that we're forgiven and turning from our sin and walking in holiness until he comes. We're looking forward to a future day. What you're going to be doing in a little bit is like an appetizer. Right? The real meal is coming. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the real meal you're going to take part in with Jesus. And this is kind of like the appetizer. It's wetting your appetite for the real meal that's coming. So when you take this, you're proclaiming that it was the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that has made me new. And I'm living my life for Him. And there's going to be coming a day where I'm going to be with Him forever. Worshiping Him, celebrating Him, having perfect union and fellowship with him. This is way more than juice and crackers. We are preaching a powerful message. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. And, and as we jump into our time of worship together, I want us to take the next few minutes 
as we worship, as we pray, as we see God's word together. And I want us to take this time to prepare ourselves for what we're about to take part in. So right now, let's just settle our hearts before the Lord. Right now, picture the fact that it is Jesus and Jesus alone who sets you free. It's the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that has set you free from your sin, who has made you new, who has redeemed you, who has bought you out of the slavery to your sin. And let's be preparing our hearts as we're worshiping Jesus, preparing ourselves to proclaim a powerful, powerful message of God's grace and forgiveness and new life and empowerment and future glory. Do this in us, Jesus, today for your glory. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Good afternoon, South You. So good to see you guys today. We're going to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. the beggars now we're royalty 
here in this room right now that have never ever heard the gospel or have never taken that step, God, that you would convict their hearts, that you would turn them back to you, cause them to no longer be dead in their sins, but resurrected in faith through Christ, the name above all names, holy and righteous and true. Lord, we don't exist without you, so God, cause your people to worship and have in the praises of your people. I pray that your spirit would lead and move, transform us into more of your image, God. As we kneel at the foot of the cross and we proclaim what's been done for us, in Christ's name.
we go into our communion time here this morning, I want us to start with a time of prayer together like we always do. And as we, as we pray about taking part in this time together, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to you, starting in verse 27. And and let this sort of settle into our hearts that this is what God is saying 
to you before you take part in what we're going to do today, okay? So this is God speaking to you through his word about how we should approach what we're about to be doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup, he's talking about communion, Lord's Supper. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord... We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Um, so I know one of the neat things about ministering here at Southview is we have people that come from a lot of different church backgrounds. Right? And so a lot of different church backgrounds view the Lord's Supper in, in very different ways. Whether you call it the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever it is you grew up calling it. So if you grew up in a Catholic tradition, um, Catholic, Catholic doctrine teaches that what happens at the Lord's Supper is what's called transubstantiation. Big word. What that means, transubstantiation, trans change, substance. So literally what, what the Catholic teaching believes is that when you put the bread and the cup, for them it's wine, we're Baptists, so it's Welch's. But when you were to put the, the bread and the cup in your mouth, it literally changes substances in your mouth to become, in your mouth, the actual literal body and blood of Jesus himself. And it literally changes substances in your mouth. All right? If you grew up in more Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist type uh, tradition, uh, they believe what's called consubstantiation. Right? And so consubstantiation is, con means with substance. And so what they would believe is, okay, it's not that it actually literally changes into the body and blood of Jesus, but somehow it's still bread and it's still just uh, uh, juice, wine, whatever. But somehow the body and blood of Jesus is mixed in there. We don't really know how, we don't really know in what way, but it's, it's with it. It's in there, consubstantiation. It's it's just in there, in that substance somehow. And then there are others who would fit into this category as Baptist. Baptist, evangelical free, Bible church, um, a lot of charismatic traditions believe in what's called um, uh, symbolism. So we'd say it's, it's bread and juice, and when you put it in your mouth, it stays bread and juice. And when you swallow it, it's still bread and juice. However, but if I could take just a quick second and push in on my team, all right? The, the symbolism tribe. So often, so we listen to, you know, it changing into the body and blood of Jesus and all sorts of things, and we go, okay, that doesn't feel right. And so we lean really hard in the symbolic part. But I think we can lean so hard into symbolism that we lose the significance of what it is we're about to do. We turn it into just juice and crackers. 
we turn it into just this thing that we do. And, and then you would, you know, we, we do it, you know, several times a year or once a month or what, however often that you did it in your church growing up. We do it here four or five times a year. We did, you know, we did that and it's just sort of that thing that we do. It's, it's symbolism. But this passage, I think, pushes in on that just for a second. Just listen to me. What you're about to do, according to 1 Corinthians 11, what you're about to do carries such significant spiritual weight that in this church in Corinth, people died because they did it wrong. That, as a Bible student, that's something that kind of perks up, and I don't know about you, but I got that one underlined in mine. Right? That, that seems significant. And the reason that it says many of them were sick and many have even died was because they took it in what's called an unworthy manner. They took it without first discerning their own hearts. What that means is they just jumped into this took it because it was passed out and they professed to be a Christian but they got all kinds of sin and junk still in their heart and they know it and they have no real interest or desire in getting that stuff moved they know it's sin they know it shouldn't be there they know they probably should stop they maybe even give lip service to it but they don't really truly do business with God about the sin in their heart and then they take this Lord's Supper this communion which celebrates the fact that Jesus died to rid it from you and so think about this you are taking into yourself the symbol of the fact that Jesus died to set you free from sin while you're knowingly still walking through your sin God is not going to be that's the point of 1 Corinthians 11. You can't mock him. You, you can't not do business with the Lord in a serious way about your sin and then take this pretending that you have. But it's not in the Bible, and I'm not saying this for the point of scaring. The point isn't, oh no, well, I'm not perfect, so that means I can never do this. No, 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 the exact opposite. We're going to dive into this in just a few moments when we jump into our text. But the point is this, are you being serious before God about dealing with the sin that is in your heart? I'm not asking if there is sin in you that needs to be dealt with. Because that is, that's not for, for debate, even for the guy holding the mic. All right? During the first service, you know what I did? While we're getting ready for this thing and we're going through all of this stuff, I'm personally setting my heart before the Lord about things and saying, God, forgive me for that. I know that's in me. I saw that. Gosh, I saw that in me just this morning. Forgive me for that, Lord. I don't want to walk in that. Thank you for your grace. I'm doing this. And that's exactly what God is calling you to as well. Before we take part in this today, let's be serious about the fact that Jesus Christ died to set you free from sin. So by God, walk free from sin. Qu quit saying you're free from sin by taking communion, but then knowingly living in bondage to your sin. Confess that. Repent of that. Seek help and let us walking with you out of that. But my goodness, don't just keep doing it. That's exactly what they did. 
And there comes a point where God just isn't mocked by that anymore. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for me. And, and I want to ask you if you would just take a few minutes here and just set your own heart before the Lord. Are there sins in your heart that need to be rightly dealt with? Are you quick to judge? Are you given to fear? You've just convinced yourself that that's just who I am. Are you racked with anxiety, worry? Are you quick to be defensive and easily offended? All of these sins that just creep into our hearts. And they're almost socially acceptable, right? I mean, everybody would say, well, of course you're free to think that. But these are sins before God. Take a moment. Is there anything that God is revealing to you in your own heart that he would have you to deal with? God, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and died and rose again to set us free from sin. And I pray, God, if there are any sins in our hearts that we are toying with, that we are allowing to linger, I pray, Lord, that we would be done with that today. We cut that off. We confess and repent. We say, Jesus, by your grace, no more. As we spend time in your word, as we continue to pray, as we continue to worship, God, if there are things that need to be revealed to us, I pray, God, that you would show that. That we would just walk in the fullness of who you are. Thank you, Lord. this in your people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, find Acts chapter 20 for me. Um, so I want to let you know from the outstart that uh, today's going to be a touch different. 
Um, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. We're actually going to finish that next week. Uh, we're going to cover a big chunk of scripture next week, um, really because it's all saying the same thing. Paul is going to get arrested in chapter 21, and then he spends the rest of Acts on trial, traveling to the next trial, on trial, traveling to the next trial, kind of on his way to Rome. And so we're going to kind of watch that play out next week and see what that means for us as followers of Christ today. But I want to take today and focus in, I think it's perfect in God's sovereignty that we come together sharing communion today uh, with the passage that we do. So in Acts 20, things kind of shut down and, and things transition in the book of Acts. So chapter 20 is kind of a closing of the door. Paul is no longer in active ministry uh, on mission trips, planting churches. Uh, chapter 20 is kind of closing the door. And again, the rest of the book is about Paul on his way to his eventual death in Rome. Um, but what we see in chapter 20, again, is that closing. And so this is what I want to focus in on for us today. And I just want to take a little time just kind of pastorally encouraging and pointing out a couple of things as we jump in to communion together, okay? So in chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, he finishes up, we saw last week in Acts 19, he finishes up in Ephesus, just amazing things happen for the glory of God, the city turns upside down, all things are crazy and goofy and nuts. Uh, he ends up leaving Ephesus and does kind of a little encouragement tour, he travels back around to his churches encouraging them. One of the stops he makes, is interesting, he gathers a bunch of Christians together uh, in this upper room uh, to encourage them in the word, and so he preaches, and I love the fact that the Apostle Paul was a long-winded preacher. It's biblical. Don't, don't talk to me. Biblical. So Paul, he preaches, he preaches so long, he preaches like into the night, like long so bad, there's this teenager, this kid named Eutychus. He's sitting on a windowsill. Paul preaches so long, Eutychus falls asleep. Which, again, is encouraging because I had people fall asleep on me. So I'm like, well, it happened to Paul, right? So this kid falls asleep and then falls out of the window. Three stories to the ground to his death. Right? At least for me, people that sleep in my sermons don't die. Right? So, one for Brad. So this kid falls out the window, hits the ground, dead. Everyone freaks out. Right? You, obviously. Paul, and I love it, Paul walks down, like, just real calm. Paul just walks downstairs, and everyone's like, oh, he's dead. Paul's like, he's not dead. I'm like, I know dead. I think he's dead. He said, no, he's not dead. He goes over, prays for him. The young man is brought back to life and uh, comes back up and joins the meeting again. And I'm sure this time he did not sit in the window. But I love this kind of moral of the story is this. What I love in all of that is in the midst of this young man and his death and everyone rightly upset over it, Paul is so calm. And he looks at this quite literally dead situation and says, no, no, no. God, will breathe. God can breathe life back into that. Right? God can breathe life back into that. So there's no situation, there's no circumstance, there's no person, there's no place, there's no thing, there's no marriage, there's no family, no kids, there's nothing where God doesn't look at that and go, no, 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 I can, I can breathe life back into that. You know, one of the a big part of what I do ministry-wise is a lot of family marriage counseling, a lot of marriage counseling. Um, 
And, and one of the, the things that I do, like week one, we sit down and we have to walk through, no, 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 God can bring this back to life too. Right? That's kind of the first step you've got to walk people through. Right? They just feel completely done, completely hopeless, completely helpless. This is over. You don't understand. We've been down this road so many times. And what I have to encourage them with is, I understand. And trust me, I'm not going to save anything, but God can. Right? And so, big idea number one. God brings back to life what seems to be dead and gone. So he does this. Then he travels back around and hooks up with the folk at Ephesus. And he doesn't go into Ephesus to meet the whole church. He calls the elders out to meet him at a separate location. And as they do that, they come to the separate location. And he says, um, he, he kind of encourages them and pours into them and teaches them. And one of the things he says is, look, things are going to go bad for your church. Which is just super encouraging, right? Things are going to go bad. So bad, he looks out at this group of guys and says, it's going to be so bad. There are going to be men in this group right now that will rise up like wolves and try to eat the church. Can you imagine everyone's looking around? It's like the disciples with Jesus. Like, not me, this guy, not me. And in the midst of all of that, all of it kind of hinges on one verse. It's kind of the foundation for this teaching that he's trying to do. And that's all I want to focus on today. I'll just read one verse to you. I want to kind of give you some practical pastoral uh, thoughts about it that lead us into communion time. Okay, it just fits perfectly with us serving communion today. So Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28. This is what Paul says to these Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That last line, that last phrase there, which he obtained with his own blood, has just, and that just strikes you. And I want to take just a second, I want to unpack that with us, okay? Which he obtained with his own blood. That word obtained means to buy something for your own personal use, Right? So, we're going to be rolling into Christmas shopping soon. Like it or not, here we go. All right? I personally love it. The Lynch family, we're that Christmas family. I'm not going to lie. All right? We, but we don't want to do, like, we don't want to be weird. Right? We don't want to be like the weird people that jump out on Christmas way too early. So we always wait until after July 4th. Okay? Because we do not want to be those weird people. But we're rolling into Christmas season. And you ever go on Christmas shopping for someone, but in the process you found something you really liked for you? Right? You're like, well, I've been a good boy this year. Yeah, let's do it. The idea is you're buying that thing. Yes, you're spending your money, but you're buying it for yourself. And that's exactly the way God is describing salvation. I love this. It's not just Jesus down on the cross to take away your sin. Yes, obviously. But in the process of all that, something's happening. God is buying you with his own blood. 
He's buying you. He's purchasing you. He's obtaining you for himself. He's bringing you in to him. He's not just taking away your sin so that one day you can go to heaven one day and squeak in by the skin of your teeth and everything's going to be great. No, he's buying you for himself. He loves you. He wants you. He desires you. He wants to make you his child. And he's shedding his own blood to obtain you and buy you for himself. And as we see this scripture today, what I wanted to do is take just a few minutes, again, just to kind of highlight a couple of really important things that I think are very important for us. Good, important reminders for those of us who are followers of Christ, who've been doing this for a long time. And if you're new to the Christian faith, you're trying to figure this thing out, maybe you're not a Christian yet, or you're a new Christian, um, this is going to be really foundationally important for you, okay? So all this really really is significant, and I think we see it coming from this scripture. So, big idea number one is this that I want you to see. Your forgiveness has nothing to do with you. Your forgiveness, God's forgiveness of you, has literally nothing to do with you. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him, that's Jesus, we have redemption that's being bought out of slavery. We have redemption Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Your forgiveness has nothing to do with you. The only thing you bring to the table is your jacked up sin. Yeah, you've got something to bring. It's all bad. Like You bring all the bad, only Jesus brings the good. This is extremely important for us to understand, and here's why. There are people in this room right now, this second, you are struggling in your walk with the Lord because you still think you have to figure out some way to pay God back, to be worthy of this. You don't understand, I'm just not worthy of this. I know, you're not. That's kind of the point. You aren't worthy. You do nothing, nothing, nothing in terms of your forgiveness. All you do is receive it. That's it. Um, you may be familiar with a guy. His name is Tullian Chavigian. So Tullian is uh, the grandson of Billy Graham, right? So Billy Graham's grandkid grew up, you know, Christian royalty. Um, and Tullian, uh, about 10 years ago, just in the Christian world, shot off like a rocket. I mean, the dude was, as weird as this sounds, he was a Christian rock star. Right? I mean, he was everywhere. He became the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, if you've been in church circles for long. Uh, Dr. James Kennedy, um, um, that's uh, uh, Evangelism Explosion, right? If you're, if you're a church kid of the 80s, right? Evangelism Explosion came out of that guy. He took over for Dr. Kennedy after Dr. Kennedy retired, okay? So this is a giant of the Christian faith. He is on a rocket ship of popularity in evangelical circles. One day, a few years ago now, I wake up in the morning and uh, my phone is exploding. Like Twitter just blew up. Like, what is going on? And I check my phone 
and it had been discovered that both Tullian and his wife had been having separate extramarital affairs, trying to cover it up for a long time. It eventually became discovered, and it went bad. This guy went from up-and-coming prince of the greatest Christian family on earth to literally having his entire world crushed. All by his own doing. Can you imagine? It's bad enough when we have to walk through sin and our family has to watch it and we feel bad because our kids see us act like idiots. And we got to go, oh my, God, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Can you imagine you crashing and burning that spectacularly and the entire world gets to watch you do it and then post their thoughts about it on social media? Can you even fathom? You can't find a hole deep enough to crawl into and hopefully, by God's grace, die. Right? So this is Tullian. And he is at the lowest point you can imagine. He tells the story of having to sit down with his kids. And say, okay guys, here's why your life is going to change drastically. It's because of what your dad did. Here's what I did. Right? I mean, just, just hit the wall at a thousand miles an hour. Um, I don't know Tolian personally, but uh, a, a very dear friend of mine is one of the guys that he reached out to. And just said, um... I don't know how I'm supposed to build my life back, but I know I'm supposed to in Christ. Can, can you help me? And so my buddy kind of went through a little bit of, of, of kind of walking and discipling him and walking him through all that stuff. And so in the process of that, I, I did get a little bit of a behind-the-scenes view, right, of what was going on in Tullian's life and how God was working. And in the process of all of that, here's why I share all that. In the process of all of that, God showed Tullian something amazing about the Christian faith. And he wrote it down. I want to read it to you, all right? Here's after years of being a Christian and being a pastor and flying around the world and having thousands of people want to hear you talk and selling books and everybody thinks you're awesome. And then you go from that to basically you're a leper and no one wants to ever acknowledge that you existed anymore, right? You go there and he's trying to figure out how to climb back from all of this stuff. And in the process of that, God begins to really unpack for him what it means to be a Christian. And here's how Tullian described it. Listen to his words. I realized Christianity is not for good people who try hard. Christianity is for bad people who finally give up and throw themselves on the forgiving mercy of Jesus. The gospel, in other words is not good advice for good people. It is good news for bad people. Believe it or not, Christianity is not about good people getting better. If anything, it is good news for bad people coping with their failure to be good. Christianity is not a bunch of rules that the good people can follow. 
And so you line yourself up with those other people and go, well, they're able to do that, and they don't have the issues that I have, and they don't have the background that I have, and if they had the upbringing that I have, if they had the marriage that I had, if they knew what I knew, if they had the parents that I had, they would never be able to be as good as they are. So I can, I can never be that. That is not Christianity. Christianity is not a bunch of rules that good people follow. Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not for good people. If you were in this room today trying to be a part of this church in some attempt for you to be good, you are going to fail miserably. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. When you realize I can't ever be good enough, and Jesus Christ just gives me forgiveness and new life in him, it totally changes everything. Isn't being good exhausting? Isn't trying to, to, to not mess up and then messing up, isn't that just infuriating? And this is the gospel. And this is the point of Acts 20, 28. God is the one who obtained you with his own blood. You did nothing. You did nothing. The most freeing thing some of you can do today is to throw your hands up and say, yes, Lord, I thank you that I can do nothing and I just lean on you, Jesus. You take me, you forgive me, you make me new. I trust in you. I throw myself onto your mercies. I just need you. I can't do it anymore. That is the most freeing thing some of you are going to be able to do today. And I cannot encourage you more highly, do it. See today that Christianity is not about good people being good. It's about bad people realizing they can't be good, so they've got to run to Jesus. That's the point. Second is this, kind of an offshoot of that. Second thing I think you see in Acts 20, 28, is you belong to God and not yourself. Right? He obtained you to himself. He bought you for himself. He brought you to himself. You don't belong to you. You belong to God now. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. You're not the captain of your own destiny. You are not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong to God. Therefore, you wake up every morning saying, God, I am not my own. I am yours. You tell me what to do. So then every thought, every word, every deed, everything is based off the fact that I now belong to God. He bought me with such a precious price as the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, now he owns me. And he can do with me what he desires. And the good thing is this. You want God to be in control of that because he's the only one who can truly do what's right and good in your life, not you. Again, don't you have years of background and experience proving to you that when you try to do it yourself, you genuinely jack it up? I mean, if I'm 43, so I have 43 years worth of experience showing me that when I try to take control... It normally goes bad. Like, I'm probably going to mess that up. So now I don't belong to me. I belong to God because he bought me with the blood of Jesus. As you take your communion here in just a few moments, what you're doing is you are saying the fact, this is, 
kind of a, it's a symbol of the receipt that you were purchased with. You now belong to God. You do what he says to do. You live your life the way he says to live it. You turn from sin because you belong to him now. You're his. You're not your own. Do you live your life in such a way where you are living your life to glorify and honor God because he's the one who's bought you? The third thing I think we see in the scripture, this specifically goes to leaders, and I want to talk just for a quick second to leadership at Southview Baptist Church. Look again at Acts 20, verse 28. So the Apostle Paul is so deeply concerned about the future of the church. And because he's so concerned about the future of the church, the very first thing he says about it in verse 28, to the leaders, the elders, the pastors in charge, pay careful attention to yourselves. And then also to the flock that God has given you charge of. First of all, to the leaders that... The, the elders, the pastors there at Ephesus, first thing, you guys need to look in the mirror. Because it is an inevitable, foregone conclusion that sin's going to well up in some of your hearts, and some of you are going to repent and turn from it, and others aren't, and it's going to lead you astray and cause you to try to lead others astray as well. First thing he said was this, leaders, check your own hearts. And so just for a moment, as our pastor here I want to speak to the leaders of Southview Baptist Church. If you lead a journey group, if you serve in a ministry, if you lead, really, if you you serve in any way or capacity, I want to take just a quick second to encourage you. Especially if if you lead in any capacity, odds are you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you've been a part of this church for a long time. And you've done what we're about to do today more times than you can possibly count. And it's super easy to go through this and know it's important, know it's significant, and say, yes, Jesus, thank you, but, but not to really stop and examine your heart. It is extremely easy for, for church leadership to walk away from fellowship with God while you're serving in leadership. It is extremely easy to do that. And here's why, here's why it's so easy. Here's how it happens. You ready? If you're in leadership, you're tracking with this. Listen. You spend so much time and energy thinking about helping other people. Their problems, their sin, their marriage, their kids, their struggles. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? If you're a deacon, you're constantly connecting with other families. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Is everything all right with you? We can spend so much time and energy focusing on them that we fail to obey what we're told in Acts 20, 28. Watch your own heart. So for the leadership specifically of Southview Baptist Church, my plea with you today, check your heart. Examine your own heart. For me, do you know how easy it is to come strolling up here on a Sunday morning and be completely distracted with the thousand different moving parts machine we have going on here. I mean, from the second I get out of my car to the second I sit right there, when they're done and it's time to step up, I average about 20 people that grab me and go, real quick. Which is great. This is what I mean. I 
It's my job, all right? I, don't, I, I love that. My point is, though, for me personally, just to let you in on my heart, it's really easy to get so wrapped up in helping other people that I can walk through a day here on a Sunday morning and not stop to check my own heart. And if you're honest, it's really easy for you to do also. It's really easy for you to do too. So for the leaders of Southview Baptist Church, this church will go as we go. And this church will only move forward in glory and praise to God if we personally stop and examine our own hearts and ask God to deal with us first. Do this. And the last thing I want to show you. Just ask a question. What are you doing to see others become God's possession as well? Revelation 5.9 says, By your blood, that's Jesus, by your blood, you, Jesus, ransom people from every tribe and language and people and nation. The point is Jesus Christ gave his, his blood to, yes, redeem and ransom and obtain you, but not just you, all of them as well. We have hundreds of thousands of people right here in our community. Jesus Christ shed his blood that they would be ransomed. What are we doing? Who are you praying for? Who are you ministering to? Who are you seeking to engage with? Who are you sharing your testimony with? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you inviting to church? Who are you engaging with? In the nations, how are you praying for the nations? Are, uh, what, what's happening in Afghanistan? What's happening around the world? How much time and energy and effort are you spending praying for them that they would come to faith in Jesus, that Christians would be empowered to share the gospel? How much time, energy, effort are we spending because Jesus Christ shed his blood so that they can be ransomed as well? And again, we spend so much time inwardly focused, nasal gazing, nasal gazing, right? Just looking totally just at ourselves, our own issues, our own problems, our own things. Jesus Christ came and died so that they can be ransomed as well. What are you doing to see other people obtained. I'm going to ask Pastor Scott to come up. And we're going to transition into our communion time. But as we do that, I want to give you a few minutes, again, just to set before the Lord. As you think about the unmerited grace and favor of God, Jesus Christ saving you and making you new, you didn't deserve that, you weren't worthy of that, sit before the Lord and let him just well up praising you for that. If there's sin in your heart that God is showing you, if there are areas of your life where you're living as if you're in charge and not God who bought you, confess that, repent of that. For leaders, take time and search your heart and say, Jesus Christ, you search me. Holy Spirit, you do your work in me. If there's anything that needs to be repented of, show me. I want to turn from that. Bow your heads with me. And take just a couple of minutes. Asking the Lord to search your heart. Confess what needs to be confessed. Repent what needs to be repented of.
praise Jesus for his amazing grace. If today you need to come to faith in Jesus, you came in here today and you're not a Christian, listen to me. The gospel is not for good people. It is for bad. The gospel is not for people that have it all together. And the perfect marriage and the 1.5 kids and the house with the picket fence and they obey all the rules. Those are the ones who are Christians. The rest of us just try to get by. That is not Christianity. Please, rid yourself of that lie. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for those who don't have it all together, who have addictions and struggles and trials and fears and failures. And if you knew my story, you wouldn't even want me in this room. It's for the bad people who realize I'm never going to be able to get it straight. And God says, yes, finally, yes, I totally agree with you. You can't get it straight. That's why I sent my son to die in your place. Trust in him and ask him to save you and make you new. This is the gospel today. I ask you right where you sit. Ask Jesus Christ to take away your sin. Ask Jesus Christ to make you new. Admit today that you are going to live your life for the Lord because he's buying you with the blood of Jesus Christ. And then in just a few moments, take communion and thank Jesus for his grace on you. And for those of you who are followers of Christ today, search your hearts. Ask the Lord to show you if there's anything that is not bringing him glory and honor. Confess that to him. Praise him for his grace. Let's share communion together worshiping the Lord. Take just a minute. Sit before the Lord. Let him search your heart. Just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, come to the table, come join the sinners who have been redeemed, take your place beside the Savior.
back of the pew in front of you, you should have a cup that looks like this. You can grab that. Um, if for whatever reason you do not, we have some up front here. You are completely welcome to run up and grab one if you need to. You can grab that cup. There are two parts to it. First, you got a little white clear plastic part. You pull that back and that's going to show you the, the bread and then the purple part. In just a moment, you'll open that and that'll Get to the cup, the juice. First Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul again is writing here. And he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me so I want to encourage you now to take the bread out again it says that Jesus took it he broke it and he, he thanked God for it and so we want to do that so Jesus we thank you for your body that was broken 
We thank you, Jesus, that you broke your body for us. For us. You did not have to do that. You are God of the universe. You could have just said no. But you chose to break your body so that we can be made whole. As you broke your body, we believe by faith in you. You restore us. You redeem us. You heal us. You deliver us. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body for us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Take and eat. Verse 25 says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus took the cup, and the wine in the cup represented what's called the new covenant. In other words, this new relationship that we now have with God through Jesus, not based on our good works or good effort, but based solely on the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So as you take this, what you're doing is you're remembering, you're proclaiming the fact that I am at peace with God. I am one with God. I am forgiven by God. I am a child of God only because of what Jesus did, shedding his blood, not what I did. Jesus shed his blood in my place so that I can be made right with God. So as we set that, that's the thought in our minds. Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you, Jesus, that you shed it for us. We ask your blessings on this element now as we take it. God, that we would be reminded and that we will be proclaiming that we are made new only by you, Jesus. Thank you. We pray this in your name. going to ask the rest of our band to join us. As we end our time together today, we're going to end by worshiping. Worshiping our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has made all this possible. We just bow our heads. I want to lead us into a time of prayer as we get ready for this. For you. As the reality of who you are in Christ has maybe become more and more clear to you today. I want to encourage you as we sing here in just a moment, as we finish our time together, sing full of praise, worship excitement, because Jesus Christ has done the impossible. He's taken bad people and he's made them righteous. He's taken rebels and he's made them sons and daughters of God. He's taken people who have run a thousand miles in the wrong direction and he has brought them back home. And that is what he's done for you today. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Fill our lungs with praise for you. It's in your name that we pray. 
Amen. Stand with us as we sing together. Behold the land that was slain before the foundation of the world, church. Let's sing, let's worship together. See him there, the great I am, the crown of thorns upon his head, the Father's heart displayed for us. Oh God, we thank you for the cross. Jesus, you will reign 
forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that Lord, you do in us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that again, just love and affection and praise and, 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 and zeal and desire and hunger for you just rises up more and more and more in our hearts as we set our minds, our hearts to just your unbelievable, overflowing, undeserving grace and how you keep pouring it into our lives and pouring it into our lives. As we, as we see that, Lord, I pray that we are turned to greater love and affection and worship and desire for you. Thank you, Jesus. Continue to do this work in your people for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Real quick, guys, before we let you go, two quick housekeeping things. Number one is this. Um, Mr. Bob Slattery, longtime member of our church, uh, passed away about a week or so ago. We're having a service today, 6 o'clock, here in the sanctuary. So if you knew Bob, we encourage you to come be a part of that as we remember him together and celebrate Jesus, worship Jesus, whom he loves so much. Second announcement is this. If you are a parent and you have a child in our children's ministry, we're going to ask that you um, be mindful as we finish uh, services. Scoot on over and go ahead and get your kids, and you can come back and chat all you want to, okay? Uh, but let's remember to do that and be mindful of those workers. All right. We love you guys so much. Thank you. Have a great week.